Let's look at it. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison doors to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of God's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now last week we talked about a different mindset, an attitude of worship that we develop in our lives, but today I want us to talk about this idea of the garment of praise. So pray with me if you will, and let's open our hearts to the ministry of the Word of God today. Father, thank you again for this privilege that we have to be in your house this morning. What a joy it is every week to be able to gather and worship with the people of God. Lord, we are reminded of what a joy and a privilege it is, because even a couple of years ago, there were times when we couldn't even do something as simple as gather in this house together to worship. But I'm thankful that you have opened the doors for us to do this, and to do it with liberty and with freedom. Now help me to preach effectively today, to say what needs to be said, to say things that will encourage your people, and Lord, when we leave this house today, let us be uh, confirmed in our minds that we are the people of God, and that we are in fact wearing the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. I've been kind of in my personal devotions, kind of walking my way through the book of Isaiah. It's a wonderful book to read. It's got a lot of encouragement, a lot of history in it, a lot of prophetic words that come out of the book of Isaiah that are powerful and have great meaning in our lives. And in this passage of Scripture, we see that. Now, the context here is that Isaiah was a prophet called by God, and you know that a prophet, if you were called to be a prophet, it was your responsibility to speak on behalf of God. In other words, the words that were coming out of Isaiah's mouth and that he was writing for us to read all these many years later were words that represented God himself. And in this particular passage of scripture, Isaiah is speaking on behalf of a Messiah that everyone was talking about, but nobody knew who it was because the Messiah had not yet come. It had not had been revealed to the people of God. And it would be several hundred years before this Messiah would come. But Isaiah is telling us exactly what Messiah would say and do when, in fact, he is revealed to the world. So, he is speaking prophetically of the Messiah and announcing that he is blessed and empowered by the Spirit of God. Now, fast forward several hundred years. 
a man named Jesus comes into this earth. We know as we get ready to celebrate Christmas here in a few weeks that it was the beginning of this child that was God who came and became Emmanuel, which simply means God with us. He began to grow, and he began to grow in wisdom and in stature. His words were powerful. He was announced to others by John the Baptist and others who would declare him to be the Son of God. But then on one day, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 22, Jesus spoke for himself. As was his custom, he went into the synagogue and participated in the services there. And I want you to read along with me, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 22. These now are not the words of Isaiah, although they are repeated, but these are in fact the words of Jesus the Messiah. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim Good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him, and he began to say to them, and pay attention to this, he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is, that all that Isaiah said all those years ago have been fulfilled in your hearing now. I am Messiah. I am the Son of God. I came so that you might have life. I came to perform the works of the Spirit that the Messiah would be sent forth to do. Just like Isaiah said, I am here to do everything that Isaiah declared. Now there was one thing that remained unfulfilled, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but Jesus paused when it came to the statement about the vengeance of God upon the earth. He stopped at the favor of God because his assignment in that moment was to represent the favor and the grace of God and the vengeance of God was not on the docket for that particular time. It will come and one of these days when Jesus comes again, he will perform the rest of this prophecy. But for now, praise God, he was more concerned about distributing the favor and the grace of God. Aren't you glad 
that we don't have to be afraid today that if we sin or if we commit a failure in our life, that God is going to strike us down with lightning bolts from heaven. But instead, He is going to soothe our soul and spirit with the balm of Gilead, the grace that comes to us in moments when we have fallen short of His glory. So it was this prophecy that was given by Isaiah that had set unfulfilled for 700 years. But that day, Jesus said, when I spoke these words, it was fulfilled in your heart. He is saying, I am the one that Isaiah spoke of. I am the one who has been anointed to heal the brokenhearted and to provide grace for all of those who need to be set free. And he wasn't just quoting Isaiah. He was quoting what he had told Isaiah to say in the first place. Have you ever thought of that? Where does the Word of God come from? It comes from the heart of God. Everything that is written in this book originated from God Himself. It wasn't man's idea. Listen, if this book is nothing than just a few things that people thought, well, this would be a good thing to say and include in the Bible. If that's all it is, it doesn't hold much power or promise for us. But when we realize that every writer who wrote this book was inspired and moved upon by the Spirit of God himself to write the things that was written... So when, in, when Isaiah wrote that scripture in chapter 61, verses 1, 2, and 3, this was not Isaiah's idea. It was coming to him from the very Messiah that he was speaking of who would come 700 years later and remind us of what Isaiah said and how that Isaiah had gotten the word directly from him. That's the way it is with every promise from God. That's the way it is with everything in this book. It did not start with man. It won't be finished with man. It will be done, began, and finished by the one who spoke it into existence, which is the Messiah, our God. Amen? I'm glad to know that the Word of God says He will be faithful to finish every work that He has started in us. The work in your life is not yours. You did not create it. You did not come up with it. You are not where you are today because you just thought it would be a great idea. No, you are where you are today because God created you the way that you are with the gift that you have, with the anointing that you have upon your life so that you can fulfill the promise of God that he has called you to. Amen. So there are a few things that the Messiah wanted us to know about what would happen when he came. And the first one is this. He wanted us to know that he was a God of goodness. Let me just see the hands of everybody in the house today that you know, you think in your mind that God is a meanie two-pants. Can, can I see your hands? God's just mean. He's just out to get you. But let me tell you something. The church that I grew up in when I was a kid had me scared to death. I thought every day of my life 
that if I did not repent for every little thing that I thought or said or did, that I would bust hell wide open, that I was going to die and spend eternity in hell. I was afraid of God. It wasn't until I became an adult and begin to mature in my faith and my belief in God that I realized that He is a good, good Father. He is known and described in Scripture as Abba, Father. The God that we are able to crawl up in His lap if we need to and rest our head upon His shoulder and know that He loves and cares for us, each and every one. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It doesn't say that God hates the world and sent Jesus here to straighten us up and to discipline us and and, and to bring death. No, He came so that we might have life And that we might have it abundantly. Notice what it says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, the Messiah said. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This morning I was was helping Donna get her boots on. And she's sitting down in the chair. And I I knelt down there. and and, And she doesn't know that I do this. But every time I help her that way, I whisper under my breath, Lord, strengthen these legs, strengthen her body today. Whatever it is that you've called her to do today, give her the strength that she needs. And as I'm slipping those boots on her feet this morning, I started thinking about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Aren't you thankful that we got pretty feet, folks? It's not because they're beautiful in the flesh, but it's because we are anointed by the Spirit of God to bring the good news of Jesus Christ into this world. And he empowers us to do that. He said, I'm anointed to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He has, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to those who are in captive and to open up the prison doors to those who are bound. I started thinking about that and how that we have a responsibility to spread good news, not bad news. We we have a responsibility not to be debating people with the pros and the cons and this and the that and, 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 and all of that kind of thing. Our job as ambassadors for Christ and, 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 and as representatives of the kingdom of God is to bring forth good news to those uh, who are in peril and who need a blessing from Christ, who need their sins to be forgiven so that they can be set free. Bring good news. Bring good news. And then he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Isaiah said, and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn. You know, I've decided that there are some people in this world that some of the best blessings that you can give them is just a hug around their neck. We live our lives around people who have been discouraged by words that were spoken by their parents, dads who said things that they should have never said, mothers who spoke things into existence into our lives that they didn't know any better than to do. And we carry this baggage around with us from our childhood many times. 
And it just grows like a stronghold in our soul as we get older and older. And we don't realize that that bondage that is in our soul uh, is not meant to be there. Because God has created within us a new spirit and a new soul, if you will, because of his power. And the, the scripture says he has given us a, a brand new song to sing. How many of you remember the show from many years ago called Hee Haw? Anybody? You remember the song they used to sing every week? Doom, despair, and agony on me. If it weren't for bad news, what, what, what's the second line there? Excessive agony. Yeah, doom, despair, and agony on me. Do you know anybody like that? That's their theme song. They get, it, they get up every morning. The world is against them. If you don't believe me, just read their Facebook pages. I mean, the, every day somebody's against them. Somebody did something or said something that left them in a spirit of discouragement. Listen, God didn't put that in you. God didn't birth that in you. If you're a child of the king, you have the right and the authority to take control of your thoughts and bring them into subjection by the Spirit of God. You can't offend me because I have to agree with being offended. You have to come up and tell me how ugly I am and how, how, how dumb I am and how unable that I am to live this life. But if I don't agree with you, I don't have to be offended by you. I can just think that you don't know as much as you think you do. Now, we carry a fence around with us like it's a pocket knife, always keeping it in our pocket so that anytime we want, we can just pull it out and get it out and, and do damage to anybody who gives us a hard time. Listen, if you're a child of God, uh, that kind of thing has been dissected from your spirit and there is no need uh, for you to hold it in your soul. You've been set free. The prison doors are open. Now listen, it may not always happen miraculously but when you realize that you've been set free by the power of God you have to agree then with God and every time those negative thoughts come into your mind you have to be willing to say you know what that's not for me that is not from the kingdom of God. That is not from the kingdom of heaven. That is not from the word of God. And therefore, I will not allow that to affect my lives. Think about this. Jesus, before he came, there was a period of time where there was 400 years where no prophet spoke to the people of God on behalf of God. They didn't say anything. Can you imagine what it would be like to live for 400 years and never hear a fresh word from the Spirit of God? Prophets weren't speaking. Do you know why prophets weren't speaking? Because God was not giving them anything to say. I've heard some preachers at times that I thought, God's not speaking to their soul. God's not speaking to their spirit because what they're saying is not confirmed by the Word of God. We see these Facebook memes and, and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And I've told you this before. I'd like one time for some of these preachers to just put a scriptural reference on these fancy things that they're saying. 
Listen, if it's not backed up by the Word of God, I don't care how smooth it sounds and how pretty it flows off of their tongues. I don't want to know what they're saying. I want to know what God is saying. Because it's God's Word that will change our lives. So can you imagine what they begin to think? They might have asked questions like this. Does God hate us? Is He sick of us? Is he just looking for the right moment to judge us? Does he care about what we go through down here on earth? I mean, I could go on and on about these things that might crop up in our mind when you're not hearing from God. But when you're hearing from God, then you can see what God's heart is toward us. And the Messiah said, I came for the poor. I came for the afflicted. I came for the brokenhearted. I came for the captive. I came for the sinners that they might have life. I came for those who are downhearted. Aren't you glad that Jesus came for you and he came for me today? We start thinking about God rather than the things that we're going through. And you know what I've discovered in my own life? I have discovered that God is far greater, far better, and far more amazing than anything that I may face and more than any way that I've ever thought about Him. God is wonderful. He wants us to know that He's good. Secondly, He wants us to know that He is a God of grace. Isaiah 61 and verse 2 says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance upon our God and to comfort all who mourn. Now Isaiah said that he came not only to give favor, but to bring vengeance. But when Jesus read the scroll in the New Testament, he left out that line about vengeance. And I've already mentioned That is because it is not the season for vengeance. Aren't you glad that that won't come until he has taken us up out of this earth? And that we, I I heard somebody debating about the Antichrist and who it was and and when they're going to be revealed. And I, and you know, I never get real upset about it when people start talking about the Antichrist. And you know why? It's because the Antichrist has no ability or authority to even reveal who he he might be until halfway through the tribulation. Because Jesus is going to take us up out of here before the Antichrist is able to walk in and say, hey, listen, things are getting bad, but I can come in and make things better. Lies from the pits of hell. But we're not going to be here. It's my belief That one of these days, Jesus is going to step out on the clouds of glory and he's going to come and he's going to rapture us out of here and we're going to be gone before that can happen. So there will be a day of vengeance. There will be a day of standing before the Lord. There will be a day that we have to give account for our lives. There will be a day, the scripture tells us, when the sheep... And the goats are separated from one another, and they will receive very different rewards. I don't know about you, but I want to be on the sheep side. Because I want to be able to stand before the Lord and hear him say to me, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful over a few things. I will give you the ability to lead many others. He doesn't mention the day of vengeance. And then I mentioned to you how that Isaiah says there will be a year of the Lord's favor. That's how the scripture puts it. But then it says there will only be a day of vengeance. Now think about that. There will be an extended period of favor. But there will be a shortened version of God's vengeance. So what that means to me is right now we're living in the time of favor. We're living in the time of grace. The Bible tells us that every day that we live, there are new mercies that are given to us. I don't have to worry about providing mercy for myself. God provides it to me every day. We're living in the day of favor. In the year of favor. We're living in an an extended period of God's grace. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I don't have to live today on yesterday's blessings. I'm glad that I don't have to make my blessings last. Because while I can benefit from them for many years, God has new things in store. I'm believing for our church. He has blessed us so much over the last 12 years. We we have seen him do things that were absolutely in the realm of the miraculous. Could have never been done any way other than through the hand of God. But I'm not satisfied to, to live on the blessings that he brought 12 years ago or 10 years ago or 5 years ago. Because I believe he has a favored future. The Lord has impressed upon my, my, my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my mouth. I'm, I've been telling people all the time that I feel impressed to tell the, the favor of God is going to find its way to your front door. It's not going to sneak in the back. It's not going to slip in one of the windows and you don't know about No, the favor of God is going to kick down your front door and walk into where you are and give you a new season, a favored season in your life that you couldn't even imagine or think about. If you'll just trust and believe that God is able to do it, he will bring favor to you. We are living in a time of favor. And I am prepared for the time of vengeance that we're going to avoid because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And then there's a final thing. He wants us to know that he is the God of the garland. Now what does that mean? The garland was something that they would create and make and hang around the necks of those who were winning certain races or certain competitions. Garlands also could be a cloak that was put on that would let everyone know where people were in life. Let me give you an example. People who were mourning the loss of a loved one, they would put on sackcloth and they would put ashes on their heads so that everyone who saw them would know that they were mourning. And for the period of time that had been set aside for mourning, they would wear this sackcloth. 
and they would put these ashes upon their head and they would let people know that I'm in a time of mourning. But the problem is, there are some people in this world that they really like <clears throat> to mourn. They, they like it when people say, oh, are you okay? Is, is everything all right? I've been thinking about you and how bad things are for you in your life. <clears throat> and I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you. And if we're not careful, we can like it a lot when people start calling us. When they start talking to us about our period of mourning. Listen, it's all right to mourn when it's appropriate. But there is also a time to put off mourning and to pick up the oil of gladness and joy. And some of us have just gotten so used to our old clothing that we just wear it every day. Now there are times that we have a day when we're not going to go out, we don't have to go to the grocery, don't have to go to work, we don't have to go to anybody else's place or house or whatever. So we get up in the morning, we brush our teeth and, and we brush our hair through and all that. And then we look down and we've got our jammies on and, you know, they feel good. And we got some socks on and they're making my toes warm and all that. And we got a sweatshirt on and it feels good. And then we get our little cover and we put it on and it feels good. And if we're not careful, we can get so used to being in that state state of dress that we do it every day of our lives. But listen, I want you to know that there comes a time when you've got to take off the, the sackcloth and take off the ashes and, and you've got to get up and you've got to brush your teeth and comb your hair and take a bath and put on some deodorant and change your underwear and change your socks and put on some different shoes and get up and go out in the world and rejoice. God hasn't called us. To be sackcloth people. So, well, Pastor, you're being mean to me today. You don't know what I've been through. For most of you, I know what you've been through. For a lot of you, I know exactly what your circumstances are. And I'm not trying to be mean. But what I'm trying to say is, is that you've got to put off the sackcloth. And, because, and become a person of the garland, a person of the royal robe that defines where you are in life. Now today, I, I, I wore my jacket. I, I just felt like it'd be the right thing because when I'm done, I'm going to the funeral home today. I've got to make a funeral home visit. And so I've got my slacks on and I didn't wear a tie. I'll do that tomorrow. But I got my jacket on because that's where I'm going tomorrow. I will have a black suit with a white shirt and a muted colored tie so that when I go into the funeral and do the funeral, that I will be dressed appropriately. Wouldn't it be crazy if I went to the funeral in a pink suit? Or, or in a yellow suit, or in a white suit, to respect the mourning of that occasion, I will go in dressed 
appropriately. I've mentioned to you before, to the best of my knowledge, I have never stood behind this pulpit or any others in a pair of shorts and a tank top. It's not because I don't have shorts and a tank top, because I do. My wife sees me in my shorts and my tank top pretty regularly. My neighbor, who is a pastor, lives behind me. We talk over the fence a lot of times in my shorts and tank top. Well, he's not in my shorts and tank top. I'm in my shorts and tank top. And he's dressed however he's dressed. It's appropriate for that setting. It's appropriate for that moment. But let me tell you, if I stepped into this pulpit and I had my shorts and tank top on, there'd be a lot of people who would be offended because it is not appropriate for the occasion and for the position. Some of you yesterday, you had your U of L shirts on. You wore them. UK, you had your shirts on. Because you are letting everybody know that I'm a UK fan, even if we can't beat Vanderbilt. I'm, I'm a UK fan. I'm a U of L fan, even if we can't beat Clemson. I'm a U of L fan. It identifies who you are. And what we're saying here is, is that what you wear on a daily basis represents who you are or are not in Christ. And he has not called us to depression. He has not called us to discouragement. He has not called us to just barely getting by. He has called us to change our clothes and take off the heavy spirit and put on the garment of praise. That's what the scripture says. Verse 3, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And then I close with this thought right here. I want you to notice the last five words. In verse 3. Because this gives us the true reason why we ought to wear garments of praise. Because it says that he may be glorified. Did you know that everything that you do and say should glorify God? Not just in church. Oh, I, you know, we come in church and we, we sing the songs and we clap our hands and we raise our voices and all that. Well, what about Monday? What about Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? What about Friday, Saturday? The words that we speak, are they words of praise? Are we, do we have on the garment of praise? <clears throat> it, it will transform our lives, but it will also bring glory to God. You know, I'm convinced that some, some of the reason that people don't want what we have spiritually is because we don't represent what it truly is. We're always discouraged. We've always got our tattered clothes on. We've always got things that represent discouragement and frustration and aggravation. Our words are always words of frustration and aggravation. Don't do this. Don't do that. Stop that. And our words are just harsh. And people hear us and people see us 
And they think, I don't want anything to do with that. Come help me quit, if you will. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit preaching. I'm going to start singing here in a minute. But we've got to put on the proper garments. I've got a uh, bishop's robe hanging in my closet. There are times when I'm doing bishop stuff. <clears throat> when I take my jacket off and I put my robe on. You say, well, that's dumb. Well, there are people who appreciate the authority that comes with the position of a bishop. Did you know that I have the authority given to me by the Commonwealth of, of, of Kentucky to be able to affirm people in marriage? And I have that because I am a duly recognized bishop in the church of God. You say, oh, I know I can do that. I can get, I can get me one of those off, of, off the internet. <clears throat> yeah, well, I won't say anything about that. And then the Commonwealth of Kentucky has given me the authority to be able to say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And there are many times that people ask me if I will put my bishop's robe on to match what it is that I'm doing on their behalf in that moment. You say, I don't know, that sounds religious to me. That sounds like something I would, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm just saying that what we're wearing <clears throat> represents what we're doing and what we're saying and what we're living. And so my question to you today is, what clothes do you have on? I mean, you would know better than I would. When you get up in the morning, are you going to put your mourner's clothing back on? Are you going to wail your way through tomorrow? There's a, there's a, a, a billboard in Mount Washington for this insurance agent that works there. Her name is Erin Wales. Now, I don't know if she's related to any of you or not, but if she is, I apologize for what I'm about to say. Every time I drive by that sign with her picture up there sitting there like that, it says, Aaron Wales. I'm just thinking, I can hear her going, oh, Aaron Wales. I, sometimes I'll say to Donna, Aaron Wales, oh. I don't know, there's just something about it that just brings that out in me. I just, I can hear her. I know where her office is there in Mount Washington, and I think, Aaron must be wailing. My question to you is, are you going to live a life where you just wail your way through it? Or at some point, are you going to take off those garments of heaviness, that spirit of heaviness, and put on a garment of praise? There's a story that I read this week about these three guys are sitting at a bar and a dog, and they're playing cards. Somebody comes in, they see the three guys and the dog sitting at the table, and they're playing cards. And so they ask, they say, is that dog really able to play cards? And they said, oh yeah, he's playing right now. But he's not very good 
And the reason he's not very good is because every time he draws a good hand, he wags his tail. And I thought, well, you know, we're living in the days <clears throat> of having drawn a good hand. We're blessed. You're blessed. You are blessed with, with the heavenly blessings of God. And boy, I hate to close like this, but some of you need to start wagging your tail. Some of you need to realize that my life can't get any better than this because God has ordered up mercies and blessings for me and I just can't hold it in. Blessed of God. Favored of God. The garments of praise that replace the spirit of heaviness. Stand up with me if you will. I just wanted us to sing this old chorus. It's just a little short chorus. My wife said they won't know it. I said it's so simple that by the time we sing it twice, they'll get it. But it just says put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So I want us to sing it for a minute, and I want you to get it down in your soul. And then we're going to have communion in just a moment. Colonel Walker is going to come, and he's going to lead us in that. Can we sing it? Go ahead, Justin. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Lift up your voice to God. Come on. Praise with the spirit and understanding. Oh, magnify the Lord. Sing it with us now. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. line the voice to God we're going to go up because it takes more effort to go up than it does to go down it'll encourage you to sing louder and then when we get to that word praise with the spirit I want you to sing it like that I want you I want you to let it out like a dog that's got a good hand at the card game praise with the spirit can you do that Let's just sing it. You ready? Here we go. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Lift up go up to God. Come on, praise with the spirit. 
praise to the Lord. The one who has replaced your spirit of heaviness with a garment of praise. Aren't you thankful that he'd be willing to do that for us? spirit that goes against your natural bent to be negative but will create in you a positive sense of what God is doing and has done in your life nobody can do that but you but the good news is you can it has been such a joy for me to have my good friend my college roommate from many years ago with us over the last few weeks. I think his assignment is coming to an end here fairly soon. So I don't know how much longer he'll be able to be with us, but it has been such a joy to have Colonel Brian Walker with us. He is a chaplain. He is a Church of God chaplain. He is one of us. He represents the kingdom of God and he represents the United States of America. And what a joy and an honor it is for us to have had us with us. I asked him if he'd lead us in our communion service today. So I want you to give him a good welcome as Colonel Walker comes to lead us in communion this morning.
please be seated for a moment. And it is a um, privilege of mine to do this today. I will be returning, uh, going back home this Thursday, hopefully, and back to Fort Jackson where I'm stationed. I was here since 26 September, had temporary duty at Jackson, and that's coming to an end. And it has been also a great joy to be in worship with you, especially with my old friends. Uh, the pastor talked about the blessings of God, and I think back when he and I were 17 years old, freshmen in Bible college, that God would move in such a way that here we would be now, being able to worship in the same service. And so I certainly can uh, give praise and honor to the Lord for what he has done. I have to apologize for being in this uniform. Uh, this is the operational camouflage pattern uh, combat uniform. It's really kind of our everyday workday uniform. Uh, but uh, I'm on duty today, and that's why I'm wearing it, and I didn't bring my army greens, uh, my nicer looking outfit, uh, with me for this duty. So if you can just pardon it, again, it's like standing up here in dungarees or something at a you know, at the work site yeah. as to what I'm doing. So just to say a couple things before we go into uh, communion, and something that I like to emphasize in the chapels that I've pastored, quite a few in the last 33 years in the Army, and in fact, I pastor a service at, Cost at uh, Fort Jackson right now, and get them to think for a moment about communion. Now, communion is something that you've done a lot in your life. Think back how many times. You probably can't count them. And the difficulty is when you do something over and over again, it kind of loses a freshness about it, and you may forget why you do it. Same thing could be said, for instance, of being married, that you end up kind of going through the routine of living together, and you forget some things about what brought you together. Well, this passage that I always do communion from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 there's a couple things in there that helps us with that. Number one is it talks about the love of God. Now, I think back again to Revelation chapter 2 where it talks about the church at Ephesus. And it said, the Lord said to them, you've done great things. You've worked hard. You've suffered. Done it tremendous in terms of the ministry of God. But there's one thing that I hold against you, and that is you forgot your first love. And that goes back again to the idea that we can be involved in something for a long time and we forget the reason why we're here. I've been a Christian since I've been, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And I have to refresh to myself of why I'm here. And that is because of the love of God. And so when Paul talks about that, and he mentions in the beginning about communion, where we have the blood, we celebrate the blood and body of Christ well it's his sacrifice and why are we able to celebrate it because of John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and so as I approach the communion table I think about the love of God that found you and it found me where we were in our life and for no other reason except for his grace 
we are here today to worship and celebrate his name. So I have to confess, I don't thank him for that near enough. As his love that found me gave me life, that in this communion, I celebrate his love as I take part in this. The other element in this has to do with the idea of a promise. And Pastor mentioned promise in his sermon. In our society, the promises are deemed not as strong as contracts. So, for instance, if you were selling your car or your house and you were just going to shake hands and say that we agree on the price and you shake hands, people would look at you like you're foolish because you think, no, you need a contract for that. Well, contracts are made to be broken. Promises are not. I think back to my kids when they wanted to go to McDonald's. They would pester me to say, can we go, can we go? And I would start that, that process of getting there by saying, maybe, we'll see, which is a sign of weakness. You never say that because then they close in on you. And then they would continue on until I say, get to, okay, probably so, you know, I might have to ask your mother. And then that still wouldn't be good enough until I would say, okay, I promise we'll go. Because they say, Dad, do you promise? Yes, I promise to go. Because in their sight, a promise was something that was not broken. Our society, we have people who are imperfect. People fail, people lie. So promises aren't held up as high as a contract. But you know, when you think back to getting married, you didn't sign a contract at the altar. All you did was make a promise. And I know for Rob and Donna, I was there when they made their promise. And you can see what God has done and blessed that promise. So in this, we are celebrating a promise from God because in the very last part of it, Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, pro you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And you see, that's a promise. He's going to return. And again, sometimes we lose confidence in promises but we can trust in God's. So today in this communion service, I have you stand in just a moment. We're going to take a moment and pray ahead of time and think about God's love. Where were you when God found you? What is it that brought you here today? His love and grace. And then that's a, that's a matter of looking back about where you come from. And then you're going to turn around and you're going to look where you're going and say, He is returning. Could be today, could be tomorrow. But he is returning. There is a promise made that I accept and I believe in. He will return. Please stand with me. with me in prayer for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we just want to say that we're grateful, Lord, to be here today. We're thankful for your grace, your unmerited favor, that despite, Father, our sins, that you found us, you cleaned us up, you made us your child, your children. And Lord, we are grateful for that today. And as we approach this table of communion, we want to give you all the praise and honor and thanks as we celebrate your death 
and looking forward to your return. Lord, touch those here today that if there's any sins or thoughts that they need to take care of, let them pray now. Cleanse that which is within, Lord, as we celebrate communion, Father, this day. For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This will be our closing prayer and dismissal service. Father, grateful this day for your word, for your presence, for your power. Enable, Lord, your spirit to go with us today, that wherever we may go, we might lift up your name. Father, enable the love that you've given to us to come through in everything that we say and do, that for those who are lost, for those who don't have, Lord, the joy that we have within us, they might see within us hope, deliverance, and peace. Protect each, Lord until once more we are able to gather and rejoice in your name. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless. Service. Oh.